this 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 uh, semester, and uh, but I'm excited to see all, so many of you back. So that's encouraging to me that we're going to continue to have a good time. We're going to begin shifting gears a little bit. Um, we've been talking a lot, really, really big picture um, about kind of like where we got the Bible and. How do we interpret, what gives the text its meaning and those types of things. And so we're going to begin shifting a bit more toward principles and ways of interpreting things. And so tonight we're going to spend about, we're going to begin spending about the next three weeks talking about some general principles for interpreting the Bible. Just kind of things we need to keep in mind every time we come to the Bible. And then we're going to kind of bring this semester to a close and we'll pick up next semester with going through specific genres of the Bible. So we'll be looking at like poetry and prophecy and epistles and the gospels and things like that and looking at very specific ways that we are to interpret those passages, okay? So tonight though is one of my very favorite ways to think about interpreting the scriptures. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 119. So you guys have probably heard about a guy named Martin Luther, okay? Um, now, just to kind of, I want to make sure everybody we're on the same page, not to insult your intelligence, but Martin Luther is a different guy than Martin Luther King Jr., okay? Um, one was I Have a Dream, one was Nell, the 95 Thesis to the German church door in the 1500s, okay? We're talking about the latter, all right? We're talking about the original Martin Luther, the guy that Martin Luther King Jr. was named after, Okay, we're talking about the guy that began the process of reformation in the church that all of us who live in the Protestant, the Protestant Christian faith are kind of children of the movement that was began there. Martin Luther, being a committed student of scripture, believed that there were three basic things, three, three basic uh, principles by which every person could interpret the Bible. And he got these, being a pretty sharp guy, he got these from the Bible itself. That these are the ways that the Bible say that the Bible is to be understood and that the Bible is to be studied and that the Bible is to be read. And so he got them from Psalm 119. Of course, you, most of you probably already know that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of the Bible. And it is about the Bible itself, about the ways that we are to understand the Bible and the effect the Bible has in our lives and... And so he kind of based his thought and his approach to Scripture by looking at it, all right? And he, he gives us three Latin words. I'll tell you what those are just because it makes me feel good, and then I'll tell you what they mean, all right? So he says, it's a radio, meditatio, and tentatio. So what, what Martin Luther believed was is that you, you would interpret the Bible based on these three words, okay? So a radio means to pray for the text, to pray through the text. I'm, I'm being oral, right? I'm orally asking the Lord. That helps me remember the word oratio. I'm orally asking the Lord to open up my eyes and to let me see the text as it is. And then meditatio is what it sounds like. It's to meditate upon the scriptures, meditate upon what they say. But the third one to me is the most interesting, and it's tentatio, which means trial. That that. I pray that the Lord would show me what it means. I would meditate upon the text to kind of try to absorb from its or try to observe its meaning, and then through tentatio, through interpret it through the trials of life, that I might understand and see how that comes to bear in real in the real world, in real life. 
in real struggle. If you look in Psalm 119, let's just read the verses, the first 28 verses together. That's a lot, but you know, we could keep going through like, what is it, 100 and 100, I think it's 140, 176 verses, yeah. So we could keep going, and if we were to read all 176 verses here, we would see these themes repeated over and over again. So as we read these 28 verses, try to pick out times in which the verses are praying over the Scripture, and times in which the verses are calling for meditation upon the Scriptures, and times in which it's talking about uh, applying the Scriptures to trial. All right. So Psalm 119, beginning in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. So can you see it? Can you see it? If we were to keep going, we would see these same things. That just as a, by way of note, uh, Psalm 119.9, that is the very first text I ever preached in my life. I preached to the youth when I was like 15 over here, Psalm 119.9. I told them everything I knew about the Bible in like seven minutes. And I went and I looked at, I looked at Todd, who was a youth pastor at the time, and said, that's all I got. And, uh, which is really a great way to draw the net at the end, you know. Uh, but, if you, but I bet you could see there how, uh, how these things occur, right? If we look for prayer, look at verse, we can see the prayer, him praying in verses 5, 8, 10, 12, 17 through 20, 22, 25 through 28. Verse 5, listen to what he says. Oh, that my, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He's crying out to the Lord. Verse 8, I will keep your, stat, your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. You ever pray to the Lord like that? Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. 
Let me not wander from your commandments. And so you can see the, the psalmist here praying, asking the Lord to help him understand the word, help him apply the word, help him live out the word. Then you look, meditation is just as prevalent. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've put it in my heart that I can think about it a lot. That, I can, that it's always there when I need it. That it's always there for me to mull over. That it's always there for me to consider. Verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will look at them and look at them and look at them. Trial. Verses, look in verse 22. He says, Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. In other words, help me to understand how these Things in my life relate when I am one that has tried to live out the things that you have said. Help me to apply the word to these situations. Help me to interpret my circumstances through the precepts that I know to be true. Verse 23, he says, Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. That in the midst of this trial, I find the word to be helpful to me. I find the word to be sustaining to me. I don't know if any of you have ever been able to have princes plotting against you, but I bet that's not a good day, right? Um, I cannot say that that has happened to me. Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. I am sorrowful in my bones. I am I'm aching with, with sorrow, and your word helps me. It is a salve to me. So we can see throughout Psalm 119 how these things come up over and again. That throughout throughout the psalm, the psalmist is always praying the scripture and meditating on the scripture and thinking about how it relates to the trials of his life and the tribulations that he faces and the difficulties that he encounters. So first, let's talk about prayer. Now tonight, I know some of you kind of hate this kind of thing, But tonight we're going to do some audience participation kind of thing because I I want you to see how valuable this is. I think you'll find that this is a very valuable tool to you and this is something that is enjoyable actually and would help you experience what Psalm 1 talks about when it talks about I delight in the law of the Lord. So approaching the Bible in prayer. So the issue that we have is what Jeremiah 17 9 says is that our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful. And as a result of our hearts being desperately wicked and deceitful, Romans 1, 18-23 teaches us that in our flesh, when we encounter the truth of God's word, and we see the truth about God even in the creation, our natural reaction is to suppress the truth. To suppress the truth. To, to pretend like that's not really the truth. To... to Train our minds to believe that something else is true other than what our eyes are seeing and what our eyes are reading. I've told you guys, I think before, about the noetic effect. That when we fail, when when sinners fall, being fully depraved in all of our sin, that not only are we sinful uh, in our will, not only are we sinful in our nature, not only are we sinful in our desires, not only are we sinful in our words, and not only are we sinful in our actions, but we are sinful in our very thinking. That our ability to reason and to use sound judgment and to understand perfect logic is flawed, it's broken. That our logic is, and if you don't believe me, think about how many people deny that there is a creator. 
Think about how many people are out there that look at everything that is around them and believe that it is some cosmic accident. Now, I don't know about you guys, but every day when I go out into my garage and see my truck sitting there, I am not deceived into believing that they just appeared as a cosmic accident. I know that there was an engineer, and I know that there was a factory, and I know that there, were, there was an assembly line that put that thing together. I've never seen them, and I've never met them, but I know that they were there. How much more so when we see the, the mountains and we see the water cycle and we see how we breathe out carbon dioxide, plants breathe it in and they breathe out oxygen, how all of that stuff fits together. How is it that we are so perfectly placed in the solar system so as not to freeze and not to burn up? When we look out into the world, we can see that there is a creator and yet what do people do? They suppress the truth, don't they? They suppress the truth. Why? Because their ability to use sound logic has fallen with sin. It is corrupted and they are blind to that which is true. doesn't mean they're not smart. A lot of the smartest people in the world don't believe that there is a creator God. It means that their ability to use good logic, sound logic, is not as perfect as they believe that it is. It's not as perfect as we, uh, we like to kid ourselves that it is. And so aren't you glad that being a sinner, being one with flawed logic, being one with an inability to see things perfectly and as they really are, aren't you glad that the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad that the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could see his truth, so that, so that he could help us to understand it, so that he could help us in those areas in which our minds are blinded, in which our reason is flawed, in which our logic is trying to suppress the truth about God. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it tells us that all of this stuff is foolishness. We've studied that passage together. All of these things are foolishness to the natural man because they are spiritually discerned. And so God has given us the Holy Spirit that, the, that our, our, our minds and our eyes and our understanding and our logic and our rationale when it comes to the things that are spiritually discerned might be set free. So, when it comes to reading the scriptures... And in understanding the scripture, should our first move not be, Lord, help me see? Lord, help me see. Lord, help me see what is really there. Lord, help me to understand what you're really trying to say. Help me to really wrap my mind around the truth. Help me when I want to suppress it, to embrace it. Help me when I want to change it, to leave it as it is and instead to change my life. Open up my eyes to behold your glory. Open up my eyes that I could really be as you have called for me to be. In verse 5 he says, Oh, that my ways might be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He's praying, Father, help me to be faithful to your word in all that I do. Help me to be faithful in reading it, in understanding it, and in living it out. Verse 10 he says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Father, let the Spirit guide me is what he's praying. Help me not to wander away from your word or to interpret it wrongly. Guard my steps farther. Verse 12, he says, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. He's praying, Father, I want to learn more, everything about you that I can learn. I'm hungry to know more. I'm hungry to know you better. Please teach me, Father. Teach me so that I can know rightly what your word has said. Tonight, in your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to study this text together tonight. 
I had to get my other Bible because my uh, Ephesians came out of my good Bible. It goes from Galatians chapter 5 to Ephesians chapter 6. It can get pretty confusing. Tonight, let me read our text together that I want us to spend some time studying in what we have left. I want us just to study Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So why don't you spend a couple of minutes asking the Lord to show you what this passage says. Asking the Lord to open up your eyes that you could see things there that you've never seen before or to, be, to enjoy things about the text that maybe you just glaze over because you're kind of used to it. So you pray just for a couple of minutes and then I'll close that time uh, with a prayer. Heavenly Father, open our eyes through your Spirit to let us really see. Let us really see not what we want to see, but what what you have said and what you have written. Help us to see it in all of its glory so that we might know the gospel better and love you more. Help it to increase our worship and increase our passion for your kingdom and for your name. Let it be, make us better at loving one another and at forgiving one another. Let it make us better in the guilt that we carry to be set free as you've set us in your gospel. Let it help us to be more faithful as disciples of Christ with the security that comes from the passage that you have given to us. Lord, let us revel in the glory of what you have offered to us through your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, next, let's talk about meditating on the Bible. I have given you all a sheet on uh, meditation. So when Martin Luther talked about meditation, he talked a lot. When we think about meditation, we typically think about like an Arabic guy sitting in Indian style going, hmm. You know, like I think that's how we're most trained to think about meditation and what we've, we've seen. But Martin Luther un- uh, understood meditation much differently than the way the modern world typically thinks about meditation. The modern world typically thinks about meditation as emptying your mind, uh, of getting your mind as empty as you can possibly get it, right? So that that there's nothing left in there, and you're just kind of sitting there in your glory, I guess. Martin Luther saw it as being the opposite. It's not an emptying of your mind, it's a filling of your mind. It's not emptying your mind of everything. It's filling your mind with the only thing that really, really matters. It's filling your mind with the glory of God. Filling your mind with the truth about God. Filling your mind with the word that he has given to us. 
I think a lot of us can be kind of guilty. Um, one of the things we emphasize here, and that I, I'm, I'm thankful and praise God that we emphasize here, is reading through the Bible. I think last year we had over 100 people in our church that read all the way through the Bible in a year. And I praise the Lord for that. But what can happen is we can become really good at skimming the Bible, right? And speed reading the Bible and it not landing in our hearts and it not transforming us and us not soaking it in and absorbing it and being transformed by it and being made more into the image of Christ by it. I think we should read the Bible in large sections, and that means we have to read it faster. But I think it is almost more profitable to spend a lot of time with a little bit than it is to spend a little time with a lot of it so that you can meditate on it and absorb it. When I, the way I would encourage you, if you're reading through the Bible in a, in a year, if you're doing, or maybe it's even a faster pace than that, or, or maybe a bit slower pace, to take at least one verse per week that you're just going to think about every single day from those sections. That's why one of the reasons that we're trying to do like in some of our groups is do what we call the HEAR method, which I'm going to teach in a few weeks to help you slow down and think about some of it, that how it can apply to your life and how it can change your life. And so when Martin Luther thinks about, when, it, when he's talking about meditation, he's talking about it in a lot of different ways. And uh, Donald Whitney, who wrote the, uh, the book on spiritual disciplines that's kind of the most famous in, on the subject, the most prominent on the subject, he came up with a list of ways that you can meditate on the scriptures. And these would have been very much in line with the thoughts that Luther would have had um, coming from Psalm 119. And even if you were to keep reading through Psalm 119, you would see a lot of these. So in Luther's mind, you could sing the text, and that's meditation. Now, it might be kind of uncomfortable. We're going to do this in a minute. It might be kind of uncomfortable if some of you sing the text, but you're welcome to do it. I'll praise the Lord for it. I even think about... Um, you know, the, the Bible journaling is a big thing among ladies right now. And you know, like, honestly, if I'm just being transparent with you, at first it kind of made me uncomfortable. I don't really know why. Um, it just did because I'm a sinner and I'm weird and I'm quirky, okay? Um, imagine that. And so it kind of made me, and I thought, why are we drawing pictures up in the Bible? Like, what is that? You know, this isn't an illustrated book, um, you know. Uh, but then I started thinking, and the Holy Spirit convicted me of that because, that's meditation, right? You're sitting there and, you, it, it, and you're, you're, you're finding a way to, to spend a lot of time writing out those words. Writing is a form of meditation. That's one of the things I'll, I do a lot of times in sermon preparation is write the text out um, because it helps you um, to think through it. And sometimes you see things writing that you didn't see it reading. And so it's helpful. And so I think, um, I think the Bible journaling thing is, is quite helpful for that, actually. Um, say... Uh, Reading it again and again and again is a, a form of meditation. One of the things that I do every week, uh, meditating on a passage, is I read. Uh, I go through this whole passage a, a bunch of different times, emphasizing a different word each time. Because it's amazing when you emphasize that word, how things, how thoughts, how uh, spring into your mind. So, if we were to do verse four like that, we would say, "But God, being rich in mercy," and so you, it would make you think about that's. Kind of an uncomfortable thing to say, but it makes you think about the butt there, you know? And, and it makes you think about it in a way that you think, oh, wait a second, there's, there's a change there. What does that mean? That means that, that he was saying one thing, but now he's saying something new. And, it, and so it springs that thought. And then, but then you would go, but God being rich in mercy. And so the subject here is God, and it, makes, it draws you in. You can kind of see, you can do that with each word of the text. And it makes you stop for a moment and see how that word fits and um, and how dramatically important it is to what the Lord is trying to say. And it'll, it'll cause you to think about 
different things. You can journal over it. You can pray through the verse. That's something that I really enjoy too. Um, so I usually have a few days each week set aside in my prayer time that I pray through the passage that I'm preaching. And I'll, I'll go through it verse by verse. And, um, and as I go through those words, what springs into my mind, I'll offer it to the Lord. And I'll, or I'll ask the Lord to change it. You know, it'll reveal sin to me. Like, Lord, show me how my life is not in alignment with that and, and make it right. And it's amazing how often the Lord is good to do that. So there's, there's so many different ways that you can meditate on a passage. It basically just means to spend a lot of time in it so that you can absorb it. A lot of time in it so that you can better understand it. A lot of time in it so that you can better apply it. So what I want us to do is to take the next um, six or seven minutes, and I'm going to invite you just to take that time and meditate on, on this passage and to write down some observations um, that occur to you while you're doing that. So if you just take the next five, six, seven minutes, I'd hope to spend more time, but the evening's getting away from us, and just write down some observations um, that you have from the text, and then I want us to talk some about this. Seven. Verse, that's Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7.
All right, everybody, let's go ahead. That's about five minutes. And uh, so what are some of the observations that you guys have made? Something maybe the Lord showed you from the text. It's rich in mercy. Speak up just a little bit so everybody can hear you. Yeah. Yeah. That our debt has been canceled out by the mercy of the Lord. Yeah. Amen. That's right. That's good. Somebody else? That's amazing, isn't it? That's a very good observation. Yeah, he, he talks about what we once were, right? Like who we used to be, and now what we've experienced, what God has offered to us. And then what does he say? And in the age to come, in all, in, in, there, there's a day coming in which the immeasurable riches or the immeasurable kindness of the Lord is just going to be lavished on you. Amazing. See, and that, those are things that you can't see reading quickly, right? I mean, you, you have to slow down a minute to pick up on verb tenses and things like that. It's a great observation. Right. If you take Jesus out of it, it doesn't make any sense, exactly. right? And And... This is the essence of the gospel, and that's the essence of the gospel, right? If you take Jesus out of it, it doesn't make any sense. If you take Christ out of what he's done, it doesn't make any sense. Good observation. Somebody else? Yeah. It's amazing. It emphasizes all of them, don't it? And, and, I think, and each one of those words tells us something different about the good character of God, don't they? Each one of those words... It, they're all related, but they're all different, aren't they? He, and, and it's neat how he says it. The way, that, the way the passage is structured is he starts off by telling you why this is true. Why is this true? This is true because God is rich in mercy. Why is this true? This is true because he has a great love for us, right? And so he's saying everything that we know about Christ, everything that we know about forgiveness, everything that we know about being made alive is because God loves and God is merciful. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's what he tells us in the verses in the verses prior. He says that we were sons of disobedience. We were dead in our trespasses. We were following the course of the world. We were living out of the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God. But there was an interruption in our lives that changed all of that. Right? Yep. Well, it drives it home, right? It, and, it, and, and, and the word but there is implying a contrast, isn't it? And, and really, you can't get the 
depth and the glory of grace if you don't first remember how wicked and sinful and fallen and dead you were, right? But remembering where you've come from and remembering who you once were, wow, like God loved that person, you know? God loved, God changed that person. God came after that person. That's, a, that's an amazing thought. Something else? Anybody got something else they want to share? They're all good. Yep. That's right. It doesn't say that he loved just anybody, does it? That's right. That's right. He, and he, he doesn't, it doesn't say that he loves all of creation that way because he doesn't, does he? He doesn't love dogs like that. And he, doesn't love, he doesn't love the mountains like that. He loves us like that. That we are the recipients of his affection. We are the recipients of his, uh, of his great love. It's an amazing thought. You can just sit there and meditate on the love of that the Lord has for us for the rest of the night, can't you? Anything else somebody wants to share? Makes me think almost of uh, the Old Testament stories of Mephibosheth, who is the, the son of David, who's paralyzed and living as a beggar on the streets. And David is the king, and he sends him out, his, his servants out to find him, and they come and they have to carry him there. And he's laying at the table, and he's dressed in rags. And David says, feed him like the king, right? That is who we are with Christ. Now think about it. All of those observations on five minutes of meditation. Five minutes. I, I bet that every person here saw something new in, five, in that five minutes. Now, all of us may be busy people, but all of us have five minutes that we can spend meditating on Scripture each day, don't we? All of us have that much time. And think about how just in that brief moment how stopping and pausing and thinking about it deeply affected your, your feelings toward Ephesians chapter 2. Like every time I think about that passage, I like it a little bit more, you know? And it makes me remember it better. Isn't that amazing? All right, so now let's talk about the last category, tentatio, trial. I've told you guys before, there's a difference between intellectually knowing that honey is sweet and tasting the sweetness of honey, right? And life is that way too. The, the, the word of God is like that, isn't it? Like, it's one thing to know that God will see you through everything intellectually, isn't it? But it's something different to need God to sustain you from day to day, breath to breath, meal to meal, right? To experience it. It's that Job experience, isn't it? It's that Job experience where he says, 
my, uh, he, I had heard the things of God, but now my eyes have seen them. He says in uh, Job chapter 42. That it's in the trials of life and the struggles of life and even sometimes the result of our own sinfulness and rebellion that the depth of life comes in and the depth of the Bible begins to matter. One of the things that I learned over the past year um, with my, my deal and um, one of the things that I've learned counseling with other people that are in struggle is there is no time that you need sound doctrine there is no time that theology matters to you more than when your life bottoms out. That's when the deep things of the scriptures matter to you. That's when you need those truths to hold on to and to hold on to with all of your might. Because those are the things that sustain you in those moments. So let's think about Ephesians chapter 2 here. How might Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 through 7, how might those verses help you in trial? How might your trials change the way that you think about these verses? Um, you might think of, even think of specific examples in your life. How might, the, how might your, tri your trials help you to appreciate these verses in a new way? Anybody? So you can even hear the past, present tense thing right there, can't you? Even, yeah. And, and I think too, hearing what you're saying, you know, what about when you sin and you sin big time? None of us are beyond that. Like all of us do that all the time, right? And yet we're not in despair because we weren't saved by our own merit. We're not going to lose our salvation by our own merit. We were saved by His grace, by His mercy, according to His love, right? And those things are secure. That's right. That's right. Because of Ephesians 2, you don't have to carry around guilt all the time. Because this is true, you don't have to feel guilty all the time. You have been washed clean. That used to be who you were. You used to be guilty, but you're not guilty anymore. What else? How else can this help? Absolutely. That the Lord, in, in His immeasurable kindness, may use you and your story as a gift of kindness to someone else, right? Because, as Tony pointed out, we're together in this thing, right? Like he, He's doing this in all of our lives at the same time. Absolutely. What about if you're, if, I mean, what about if you're following after Jesus and life never gets better? You know? Like, it's just... 
I think about Kathy Jacks, who's had like 50 surgeries. I mean, every week she's having to have a new surgery. And that's a faithful woman and an honorable woman. You know what the hope is? Is one day this is going away, right? One day in the coming ages, she is only going to know immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. One day, that's all we're going to know. We're not going to know pain. We're not going to know struggle. We're not going to know sickness. We're going to know that. We're going to know the kindness of Christ. That Jesus literally has all of eternity to pour out his kindness and to let us search the ends of it, and we're never going to find the end. It's amazing. As a matter of fact, he says that this is one of the reasons that he saved us, doesn't he? So that. You see that phrase there? What is that? If, if I say that, you know, I'm going to turn on the sprinkler so that my grass is watered, I'm telling you why I'm doing that, right? I'm turning on the sprinkler so that my, my lawn is healthier, right? Well, here's, here, here's what Paul is saying. God has done all of that so that you might know his immeasurable kindnesses for all of eternity. So that he can demonstrate to you over and again for billions and billions of years just how good he is it's amazing amazing so i hope you guys have been able to see this is simple but it's helpful it's an easy non-threatening straightforward way of studying the bible and the method comes from the bible itself let's go to the lord in prayer and uh, we'll be dismissed tonight heavenly father thank you um,